Now, there was a, a mini-disaster in the Jackson family this past uh, week. Uh, my eldest son, Theo, and I, we were invited to the Zoo Nation dance show on Sadler's Wells uh, Theatre. And this is 20 years of celebrating um, the Kate Prince Company. This might mean nothing to you, by the way, okay? But this was a big deal um, to Theo and I, actually, the whole Jackson family. Um, we love Zoo Nation. Uh, Theo dances at the Academy every week. And we were so excited. This was like the, the 20... Celebrating the 20 years, so like their best dance shows of all, the best performances all together in one. We were really excited. Uh, the day was coming closer, and um, I thought, oh, you know, I'd just check the, the tickets. I took them out, looked down on the date of the ticket, and it didn't say Friday 5th of October, as I was expecting, but Wednesday 3rd of October. And I thought, oh my goodness, like, what have I done? I've got the date completely wrong. I put the wrong date in my diary, and I was calling up the box office. I was saying, please, can we do something? Can we swap the tickets? And of course, I couldn't. And there were only two dates left, Friday and Saturday. All sold out. So we missed it. Oh, can you give some sympathy? <laughs> Thank you. And we were absolutely gutted. Now, you know, the fact that I'm not getting much sympathy for you is probably because in the, you know, bigger, thing, <laughs> bigger life at the moment, the cost of living crisis, the war in Ukraine, Mark, it's no big deal. But I don't know if you ever had that feeling of like missing something, missing out on something that is really important, missing out on something that is really exciting. Because in this passage, did you notice Jesus Christ is inviting every single one of us to a celebration? And this is the greatest celebration of all. He describes it in verses 15 and 16 as a feast, a heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God. This is a feast to end all feasts. This is where hunger is banished forever. This is joy everlasting. This is face to face with our maker and saviour. No more suffering, no more death, no more... Jesus wiping away every tear from our eyes. The greatest celebration of all. And Jesus wants to make sure that none of us make any mistakes when it comes to this celebration and this banquet. And none of us here misses it. And he's going to show us how. Three ways. Come to the banquet by putting Jesus first, by carrying your cross, and by giving up everything. And for those of you who were here last week, you're thinking, oh my goodness, here we go again. It's another hard-hitting one. Yes, it is. But don't worry, we'll explain what Jesus does and doesn't mean by these verses, but why it is absolutely worth it. Okay, so come with me to the verses now. We're on page 1048. First of all, come to the banquet by putting Jesus first. This is where the three people in verses 18 to 24 get it wrong. They put their stuff first, a field. They put their work first, the five oxen. They put their family first, a marriage, and they all miss the banquet. Instead, Jesus says, you've got to put me, verse, me first, verse 26. Let me read out verse 26. Everyone glance down with me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple and by implication cannot eat at the feast in the kingdom of God on the final day. You're not going to believe it. My mum turned up for the service this morning <laughs> with this passage and this verse. I can tell you it went down like a lead balloon. Oh, so you hate me now, do you? That's what it means to be a Christian. Great. Jesus doesn't care about me, doesn't care about the family. 
Emma's got her parents here today. Let me be absolutely clear. What is being said here, what is not being said. Jesus is not contradicting the fifth commandment, right? Which says, honor your father and mother. Jesus is using hate here in a very specific way. Hate in the sense of loving someone else and something thing else more. A great cross-reference here is Genesis 29, where in one verse we're told that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and in the very next verse we're told Leah was hated. Well, she wasn't hated. He just loves Rachel more than Leah. It's hate being used in that sense. Often the Bible uses hate in that way. To make the point they need to love someone else more. That's how Jesus is using it here. You need to love me, put me first, have primary allegiance to me over your family. That is what he's meaning. And if you think about it, that makes sense, right? Parents can be overbearing, distant, let us down. Jesus Christ never lets us down. Brothers and sisters can be very mean to each other. I know, I was to my sister. Can stab you in the back. Jesus Christ always has your back. Even the best of marriages are torn apart at death. Jesus Christ has conquered death. His love for us can never be broken. Put me first in that sense. Me, the creator of family, and your mom and your dad, your brother, your sister. He brought your spouse to me, the head of the church family. The one family that lasts forever. Put me first. And you'll eat with me at the heavenly banquet, the feast in the kingdom of God. In his book, The Four Loves, the great Christian thinker and theologian C.S. Lewis, author of The Chronicles of Narnia, wrote this. It is probably impossible to love any human being simply too much, We may love them too much in proportion to our love for God, but it is the smallness of our love for God, not the greatness of our love for the person, that constitutes the disorder. The real question is which, when the alternative comes, do you serve or choose to put first? To which claim does your will in the last resort Yield. So that is the question Jesus is saying. Who do you love first and foremost? When push comes to shove, between what your family say and what I say, to whom do you yield? It's got to be me. That is what it means to be a disciple of me. That is what it will mean one day to feast with me in the kingdom of God. Put me first. Now I'm conscious that those of us here from Asian, Middle Eastern, African cultures where family very much does come first. And mum and dad are presumed to know best, and it's very shameful actually not to do what your parents say. This will be a very live issue for you. I know there are members of this church family where your parents have told you not to come to church, where they have told you to put your studies and your career first before anyone else. I know for one or two where your family have said that if you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to keep going down that path. There's going to be no welcome for you in our family home. This is live. This is very hard. But I hope you can see why putting Jesus first is the right call to make. For those of us here from a more 
individualistic um, Western culture. I'm not sure if this teaching bites in quite the same way, you know, for many Western parents, like, whatever makes you happy, darling, you know, we're supportive. But did you notice these extra few words that Jesus puts there? Not just for hating your family, yet even your own life. This is a call to put Jesus Christ first before our desires, our feelings, our hopes, our dreams, our achievements, our successes. Jesus Christ first, above it all. So, how many areas of your life do not currently have Jesus Christ as number one? Let's think about those three areas that we saw before. In verses 16, 18 to 24, these three people got it wrong. Stuff, work, marriage. Stuff. Are you just accumulating it? Hoarding it? Buying stuff you don't need? When Jesus calls us to sell all our surplus possessions and give to the poor. Are we selfish with our money? Thinking we can do with it whatever we want? When Jesus calls us to be generous and sacrificial with our money. Perhaps you think to yourself, you know what, it's my money, I earned it, I'll do with it whatever I want. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're just stewards of money. I've given you the ability to make it, and one day you'll have to give an account to me for it. Put me first. You can't take money with you. Only me. Work. Perhaps wanting to make that colleague pay for what they've done to you. To retaliate, to gossip, to backbite. When Jesus wants you to bless them, pray for them, forgive them. Loving your career so much, you work so hard in the office to the detriment of loving your family, coming to church, using your gifts to build up the body. So wanting to make a name for yourself, you find your identity fundamentally in your career and not in being a precious, forgiven, loved child of God. Put me first. Jesus says, you'll retire. You may lose your job. Never lose me. Marriage. Thinking your spouse is going to complete you when Jesus is the only one who truly satisfies. So wanting to get married that even though they're not a Christian, and you get on so well together, and they're so supportive of you coming to church, you think to yourself, well, maybe they'll become a Christian through me. You end up disobeying Jesus' word on marriage. The pressure of a spouse to have a bigger house, more space, a garden. Even when you are convinced that the Lord wants you as a family to stay where he has you right now. When push comes to shove, where is your primary allegiance? Where is your first love? 
And Jesus says, it has got to be me. To be one of my disciples, to feast with me in the heavenly banquet, in the kingdom of God. Where is Jesus not number one in your life right now? And where he's not, let's repent. Let's say sorry. Let's seek his forgiveness. It's ours through his death and resurrection. And let's pray for his spirit to embolden us and move us to put him back where he belongs. So that's the first thing to see. Come to the banquet by putting Jesus first. Secondly, come to the banquet by carrying your cross. Because Jesus continues straight again in verse 27. with another phrase about people who can't be his disciples. He says, if you glance down at verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now this is only one sentence, but it is full of importance. Because what does it mean to carry your cross? It means to suffer and die. That's what happened to Jesus, right? As he carried his cross. And he was insulted, and he was beaten, and he was mocked and humiliated and nailed on a cross to die. And Jesus says, follow me. (laughs) That's the path if you want to be my disciple. To the cross. We have that phrase, don't we? It's my cross to bear in common parlance, which basically stands for something slightly unpleasant. I've got to change the nappy bin. I've got to give granny a kiss. Now on my dodgy knee, that's my cross to bear. That is not what Jesus means here. Jesus is saying, say goodbye to any thought of an easy and comfortable life. And yes, to the shame, the humiliation, the persecution that does come when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to live his way. Listen to this excerpt from the Open Doors website. I was looking at it this week with respect to India. Simply being a Christian is enough to be in acute danger of persecution in many parts of India. For those active in telling others about Jesus, the risk is heightened even further. Sumi and her family, the name's been changed, were amongst several Christians forced from their village because of their faith. They set up homes on farmland, but the conditions were poor. Despite threats and attacks by village extremists, Sumi's husband, Ravi, kept telling others about Jesus. That was the joy of his life, she shares. Tragically, Ravi's perseverance and bravery cost him his life. He was shot dead. Clutching her Bible close to her chest, Sumi, now a single mother of four, remained steadfast in her devotion to Jesus. I will continue living here and will continue the ministry of my husband, she says. Now look, that might be miles away from where we are here in the UK, but for many, many Christians around the world right now, this is what it means for them to carry their cross and follow Jesus Christ. And I wonder, do we have that same perspective in our own Christian walk? Perhaps you're at work, and your boss comes up to you and says, look, I know you didn't do that many hours on this project, but the more hours we bill, the more we'll get paid by the client. So can you just sign the form anyway? What do you do? Do you think, yeah, you know what, that's just part and parcel of working in the city and everyone does it, so yeah, sure, I'll sign it. Or do you say no? 
Part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus Christ is carrying my cross and following him. And so you shoot up an arrow prayer to God because you know you need his help. And you say, you know what, boss? I can't. I can't sign that because that would be dishonest. Because that would go against my Christian faith. And I will not sign it. Whatever the consequences then are for you and your future in that company and your career. Perhaps a conversation comes up with a group of your friends outside the church. You know, and a hot potato subject is being discussed, abortion, euthanasia, gender identification, same-sex marriage, you name it, whatever it is. And you sense this is an opportunity, that God is giving you an opportunity, opening up the door for you to step out and say something, give a Christian perspective on it, but you are so scared, you are petrified, because what are they going to think? What's that going to mean for your friendship? So what do you do? You think, oh, you know what, oh, it's just too much of a risk. I mean, I'm going to keep quiet here. I'm not going to say anything. I reckon there'll be another time coming up in the future when it'll be much easier to bring Jesus in. Or do you think, no, no, no. Jesus calls me to carry my cross. Jesus calls me to follow him. He's giving me this opportunity. I'm going to step out in faith in the power of the Spirit, speak up for Jesus Christ, and say why I think he's got the most compelling, attractive answers to any question that we have. Will we take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ? If we don't, we cannot say we're his disciple and we will miss out on the banquet. Can I say this is not easy? No one here finds this easy. I don't find this easy. But why did we ever think it would be easy when we follow a crucified Messiah? And there is a great joy to be had even now as we follow him down this path. For the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God and invites every one of his disciples on that same path to joy. Will you come? Thirdly and finally, come to the banquet by giving up everything you have. In verses 28 to 32, Jesus gives these two parables about counting the cost. If you're building um, a tower, or if you're going to war, really important that you count the cost beforehand. And then just look at Jesus' summary sentence in verse 33, applying it to following him and being a disciple of him. He says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So yes, it's really important to count the cost in any project. It's certainly important to count the cost when it comes to following Jesus Christ. How much does it cost? Everything. Now again, we need to be clear what Jesus is saying and isn't saying here. He's not literally saying you need to give up everything in the sense of all of us being hungry and homeless and with nothing to our name. But by the way, if he did ask you to do that, would you do it? Would you give up everything for Jesus Christ, who is the pearl 
of great price. Now, do we see Jesus Christ truly as the one in which ultimate joy is to be found and deep satisfaction and lasting hope is to be found, such that without him, everything else in life just has a hollowness and an emptiness to it, no matter how much we have. The Hollywood A-lister actor Jim Carrey, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that that everything is not the answer. The playwright George Bernard Shaw, there are two sources of unhappiness in life. One is not getting what you want, the other is getting it. The British novelist Jack Higgins, I wish I'd known that when you get to the top, there is nothing there. All descriptions of life without Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a cost of following him. But I hope we can see it is absolutely worth it. Because we get him, who is the source of all blessing. And we skipped over it before in verses 12 to 14, where Jesus describes inviting those to a dinner. And you need to invite people who can't pay you back. So you're giving up things for the sake of God, for the sake of others. And at the end of verse 14, Jesus says that those who live like that will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I mean, so it's not just we have Jesus now, the source of all blessing. It means whatever we give up for him, we'll get it all back on the final day. And some. The missionary Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Nor is she. She is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. Both in terms of the joy of relationship with Jesus now and in this heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God to come. Can I ask, are you prepared to give up everything for Jesus. Again, doesn't mean you need to literally give up everything right in this moment, but when push comes to shove, and maybe you know, a relationship you have to give up, a career you have to give up, that habit, that addiction, that way of self-identifying, whenever you come up with Jesus' word, you get him calling you, which way are you going to go? Jesus says, that's what it means to be my disciple and you will eat with me on that final day in the kingdom of God. Now look, before we close, I'm conscious that at this point, some of you, many, many of us, are thinking, oh my goodness, this is just too difficult, this is just too much, this is too full on, and I can't do it. I mean, the description here, it's like you've got to be like a super Christian, super committed, all the time, every day, a super evangelist, my goodness, I can barely walk up the 18 steps into church, let alone walk on the road with Jesus. Whenever I try and speak to my friends about Jesus, it's, I mean, I just get paralyzed. My mouth doesn't work anymore. It's just bizarre. I just can't get the words out. You say, I, I doubt at times. I might get so cloudy, I can't really see who Jesus is and what it really means to follow him. So am I going to be part of this feast at the end of time or not? If that is you, and in many ways it is all of us, did you notice who it is who gets to eat in this kingdom in verse 21? 
Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Do they sound like the super-Christians to you? Coming to the banquet is not a test of spiritual strength. I've got this sorted. Look at me, super-committed. It is a recognition of our spiritual weakness and spiritual poverty, and spiritual lameness, and spiritual blindness. Such that Jesus says, let the poor come, that they may say to me, I bring nothing, Jesus. All I've got is you. Let the lame come to me, that they may say, Lord, make my path straight so I can walk on this road with Jesus. Let the blind come that they may say to me, Lord, open my eyes and lie to me so I can see the wonder and glory of Jesus and give up everything for him. Now, is that you? You feel spiritually lame, spiritually poor, spiritually... Then come to Jesus Christ and keep coming day by day and say, Lord, I want to put you first. I know it's right to put you first, but I find it so hard. I get so distracted by my work and my career and my family and my stuff, and it's wrong, and I repent. And please forgive me. And help me to rely even more on your spirit to put you first and carry my cross and give up everything for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for this wonderful invitation out to everyone to come and feast on this banquet on this final day. Thank you for showing us how we can make sure we are there by putting Jesus first, by carrying our cross, by giving up everything for Jesus. Please help us by the power of your Spirit to do just that in our weakness in our lameness, in our poverty, such that we won't miss out. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.